Today's episode is called Stamp Duty Winners and Losers, and I've got Stephen with me here today to discuss it. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm good, thank you, Anthony. How are you? Very, very well. Now that I get my words out, I'm feeling fine. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, so I just wanted to talk about uh, the, the recent announcements around the stamp duty holidays that was announced uh, a short while ago, where we've now increased the, the the rate that would be exempt from stamp duty from 125,000 to 500,000. Yeah. And just sort of think about who actually wins and who loses at, on, the, on the back of this change. So naturally, the, the aim is to stimulate the, the housing market um, to get things moving, but in the in the back of in the back of my mind, we also have the impending update on uh, capital gains tax, yeah. where the government is going to be desperate to claw back some of the money it's using to fund the COVID nineteen uh, economy, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think there there's you know some obvious obvious winners and things that change uh, from the from the day that it was announced. Um, I think as we discussed in the previous episode, uh, but thinking medium medium term, short to medium term, what impact does this actually really have in a sustainable way, and will it generate the type of activity that the government intended with it. So the early indications uh, following the announcements is that I saw today the publication uh, that some areas have reported a 3.5% increase in house uh, price value. Yeah. Now, this is, this is at a, against a smaller measure of house prices, a more in-month sort of position as opposed to the usual rolling year um, view of house prices which are usually lag behind these more current um, views. Twinned with that we've seen uh, a marked increase in the number of mortgage applications uh, which had previously sort of slowed uh, during the uh, pandemic period but has subsequently renewed its its interest. So alongside this, there was conversation around the lenders um, becoming slightly hesitant to lend as much money with the economic uncertainty in terms of employment and so forth. Yeah. And then, as I said earlier, further down the road, we have the capitals, capital gains tax uh, review, which is coming, which may have an impact. Now, the buy-to-let 
market. So the investors uh, looking to benefit from the stamp duty uh, holiday are the obvious winners, in my opinion. What would you say? Yeah, yeah I'd 100% agree with you. I think um, buy-to-let landlords are the winners, but it also comes down to the type of investor the buy-to-let landlord is. So there are, in my opinion, two types of property investor. There, well, three, some might argue. So there's a property investor who invests for rental income primarily, which is where they try to make a rental profit between the difference of you know what their mortgage cost would be against how much they're going to charge for rent. You would have a investor who is primarily focused on capital appreciation, which is the uh, the gain in value of the property price. Yeah. And then the third type that I was going to refer to is someone who essentially flips houses. So they buy them cheap, do them up, and sell them higher. And the idea in that type of investment that they hold the properties for a relatively short amount of time uh, to enable those transactions. And this type of property, or this type of benefit that the government has initiated with the stamp duty holiday probably benefits all three types of property investor. Um, However, it might benefit one type slightly more than another, depending on what their long-term goal is. So, for example, a property investor interested in rental income um, will probably be less concerned on the short-term price fluctuation of the property than an investor who is concerned with capital appreciation over the short to medium term, i.e. one year to five years. Yeah or the person buying a house to flip it because they potentially, you know, typically have, you know, the properties for, you know, less than a year and sometimes less than six months. Um, A buy-to-let landlord who is primarily focused on rental income will be less susceptible to any short-term price swings, um, I I would say. Um, But they would all gain from potentially buying a property slightly less if you include the stamp duty as the total cost of buying a property than what they would have done before the announcement. However, the simple economics of supply and demand tell me that the increase in economic activity with regards to property is will be short-lived and it will create an artificial price bubble which will have to burst. And I would project that when the stamp duty holiday benefit is removed at the end of March next year, that you will see a very sharp, sudden, but hopefully short national uh, average house price decline. Yeah, I think it's always a, it's always a difficult one to predict sort of when you would start to see a downward trend. I mean, that's, that's, you know, dependent on, on the monitoring 
going forward as we head towards the end of March next year to see what yeah. it does. But and and under normal circumstances, I would say then yes. So some of that demand and the house price value would be contingent upon that. But thinking about the review of capital gains tax, so for your type 2 investor, um, like you said, so first was rental income, second was, right, relying on the capital appreciation of it. And even your your, uh, type 3, uh, the ones trying to you know flip flip pro- properties, which is effectively the the shortest yeah. term um, investor of the three. I think we would potentially you know that what would potentially happen is they may become a bit wary of the situation. Yes. So, and I've I've heard talk in certain areas of a lot of. Uh, buy to let, you know, landlords potentially actually reducing their portfolio um, across the period because of because of that uncertainty. So, if your capital gains uh, is affected in any significant way, you know, if you imagine sort of up to forty five percent of your gains going in going in tax, it, it makes it. A less attractive model because you'd be reliant on, you need to rely on there being a quite substantial gain to actually really be rewarded post, you know, um, in a net post tax sort of situation. So I think that may actually have an impact on what, what happens. So if a lot of the buy to let investors start, you know, reducing their portfolio, or indeed a lot of them don't take up opportunities because of that potential risk, i.e., generating less capital, yeah. then you you then affect the rental market as you did before. So rental prices would subsequently go go up because there would then be a potential shortfall in that market, which wouldn't be what the government would be intending to happen. So, so I've got a bit of a cynical view uh, on that because I'm it shocked. feels as though, well, well exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always uh, coming up to cynical views, so I guess. The government, from my point of view, have had a war on the unprofessional landlord for 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 a number of years now. When I say unprofessional, what I mean is there are almost two classes of landlords in this country. And the government has implicitly tried to draw a line between these two types of landlords. And you have to look into the small print to find it. So you have the unprofessional landlord, which you could describe as almost like a retail landlord. Someone who's got a day job, they have other means of earning income, but they also have 
property as a side hustle, which they use to generate additional income. And those people typically rely on capital gains of their main residents to provide them with the equity to purchase other properties, right? Um, now, over the last couple of years, there have been lots of different bits of legislation that have impacted landlords, such as the inability now to be able to claim mortgage interest um, on your as an expense on your on your tax returns. Um, the stamp duty surcharge uh, was a surcharge that was that applies to people who have um, a another property that is not their main residence. Uh, when they go to, to, to buy, a, a, you know, a second or third or as many other properties. However, I believe the number is when you get to 14 or 15 properties in your name, um, that the stamp duty surcharge no longer applied. So what does that mean? If you're an individual, which I am going to describe for my own sake as a professional landlord, okay. someone who has a well-established portfolio of more than 15 properties well for one reason or another the government does not require you to pay stamp duty on any additional property so one could look at it from a perspective and say well they're only trying to trap the the smaller retail landlords right now this stamp duty holiday um, is an interesting one because when it was announced, I thought, oh, that's good news. And then immediately I thought, oh, well, it's not so good news if you're going to lose more than the capital gain that's going to be initiated by the fact there's going to be a, a discount on buying a property effectively because of the stamp duty holiday. But I also sat down and worked out, oh, actually, I believe the government have actually done this to target retail investors directly. The reason why I say that is if they wanted to constrain this to first-time buyers and really help first-time buyers, they would have explicitly excluded um, retail um, investors as they have as they have done with lots of different legislation recently where they've said, you know, the stamp duty surcharge is only for people that have already got properties and first-time buyers don't have to do it. But with this legislation, they've made a point of saying, no, it includes everyone. And I think instead of saying, oh, we want retail landlords to stimulate the economy because they're the only people who can actually make the market move effectively in a short space of time, they've just gone the the implicit soft route and basically said, oh, it's open to everybody. And what some people will do, they will not do the maths to work out that actually you're going to get the shorter end of the stick here because ironically, within two weeks of the announcement, we've been told about capital gains tax. Now, from my perspective, if I look at property investor type one, property investor type two, property investor type three, I think that all three of them would be concerned about the capital gains tax changes mm -hmm. because the percentage that I have seen sort of speculated is around about up to 45%. Yeah, yeah. Now, 
if that is the case, then I will even consider leaving this country because there's so many taxes that have been targeted at the average Joe um, and the average Joe self-employed, the average Joe small, medium business, the average Joe landlord, that if they start increasing capital gains tax to 45%, then, you know, I would go out publicly to say that the Great Britain is anti-prosperity because then how, how do you expect anyone to, to progress if every route that previous generations have used to accumulate wealth is now being blocked because of extortionately high taxes? And they will use the pandemic and other public reasons for the increase in taxes. And some, some will say it's all justified. But I'm sure there are other ways that the government could balance the books where they're not penalising the average Joe. Yeah, I think you, you often hear words to the effect of, you know, the, the, the review of certain systems has been long overdue or... Yep you know, had been delayed for a considerable period of time and, you know, now is a, a great opportunity for them to enact whichever review they they had planned. I think governmentally it's it's difficult trying to trying to balance the books at, at the best of the time and a global pandemic um, doesn't really help you do that um, <laughs> in a way yeah. that that doesn't cause upset to certain uh, groups of, of people so with the, with the capital gains it's not saying that it, it, it's not so much that it's outright blocking that you know a, a route to prosperity um, what it what it what it says is that you just won't be as prosperous or you may take a slightly longer period of time to gain that prosperity now <laughs> The, no, that, that's the, 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 the the gains the gains is also predicated on on the percentage movement in, in in value anyway and as we know with you know every single recession that has happened the there's the inevitability about house prices falling and it comes down to the margin by which the house you know the house price would fall so your type three investor in terms of those you know, looking to flip properties. Well, those those are the ones that would immediately, you know, sort of fold, you know, fold their hands at, at that particular poker table because, yeah. you know, the the stakes are way too high. Stamp duty offset by negative equity potential um, yes. doesn't doesn't balance. You know, it would net out to be a a a far greater loss than, you know. Uh, stamp duty, the stamp duty benefit would afford, and atypically you wouldn't be investing in uh, a lot of properties of a substantial, you know, substan many properties over the the five hundred thousand uh, pound threshold. Anyway, in terms of a flipping for profit point of view, unless you really did find some some gems in that price bracket that you could really flip and make a substantial gain um, on it. 
So, but the thing is with capital gains is that I don't think it's just isolated to property though. No, so, it isn't. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's capital. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's what I had the issue with because, and I'm not one for saying, you know, tax all the big rich companies, but equally there are lots of publications that one could pick up where you will find that a lot of the large organizations that have presence in this country don't 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 pay corporation tax for one reason or, or loophole or another right and yeah. there are lots of direct ways that they could chase big money from the people who generate big money but mm. it seems as though this government always goes for the path of least resistance which is the average joe and yeah. i know we're talking about um stamp duty holiday but i can look at several legislations over the last couple of years that affects you know it affects everybody but it disproportionately affects smaller people such as to change the dividend tax rules change the dividend allowances um i've already mentioned the uh, mortgage interest tax relief yeah uh, now we're talking about increase the capital gains um there's just so much that affects so many people and there are people who would much rather invest in property for a living or you know, find other ways to buy and sell things. But when they start increasing or considering increasing capital gains to, 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 to mirror what PAYE <laughs> uh, does today, it's just like, well, if you look at dividend tax, if you look at the change to dividend tax, Look at the changes to capital gains tax. Yeah. Look at the um, changes to, to, to mortgage interest tax relief. Look at all these. Uh, and then you look at PYE and you start to see that actually they're all carbon copies of each other now. And it's just demoralizing in many ways because, you know, I'm not one of the people. And I'm not ashamed to say I'm not one of the people who wants to sit here and 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 say I'm looking forward to working until I'm 65. I'm proactively looking for uh, many alternative routes to not have to be one of those people, right? But because I'm doing that, you know, I'm I'm seeing and identifying all the routes that people before would have taken to not confine themselves to having to work forever and i'm just see it just feels like all these doors are one by one being shut it's just it's just a bit frustrating yeah. yeah i mean it's like it's like training for the for the 110 meter hurdles right so you've practiced all this time with the the official hurdle height yeah to, only to find out that actually do you know what we're we're raising that height by three centimeters now you may think that three centimeters isn't a lot but when you are traveling at full velocity running down a track and you have to clear each one of them and the, the, the margin for clearance is usually quite often less than three centimeters, three centimeters is a hell of a lot. So, yeah, so I, I, I understand the, the sentiment there about, you know, path of least, least resistance in terms of yeah. who they would want to e extract more from. And it, and it always seems to be the case that the, the biggest fish in the pond uh, operate with seeming impunity. 
I mean, everyone will recall the the well well covered um, tax situation with Amazon yeah. in in this country. Um, you know, every every news publication cited the amount of tax that you know the organization uh, would be liable to pay, uh, numbering in the billions. And when you hear the actual amount, um, they they settled their tax bill for, it was it was it was seemingly lost in the mysticism of some some tax office somewhere as to how they came up with a figure in the very low hundreds of million. Mm. Um, I can't, I can't remember the exact amount that it was, but. It was an obscene fraction of what should have been, uh, you know, collected under normal circumstances. So Amazon aren't going to be the only uh, global company that has seemingly just walked away effectively scot-free when they could have had such a large, you know, contribution otherwise. What is what is that netted off against? That has to be netted off against something for the for the country. Um, one of the original counter arguments was around the uh, level of employment that they facilitate uh, in in the economy, and you know that that contribution seems to be you know greater to warrant not actually upsetting. Um, the upsetting the company, but to you know to maintain their presence uh, in terms of benefit to the to wider society in terms of in terms of employment. The irony is the, the the irony is obviously all of the all of those employees for the company in this country are subsequently taxed um, at a normal rate. It's not as though they benefit from the same tax break that that big corporation uh, enjoys. Well, so, there is a counter-argument to that as well, which says, well, Amazon, as we know, the most valuable company in the world, or one of the top three, certainly. Um, capitalism is a zero-sum game. So for someone to win, someone must lose. And equally, the, if the government take a position that says, oh, Amazon employs so many employees and keeps so many pl- people employed, so we don't want to upset them, so... We're just going to allow them to choose how much money they want to pay uh, each year. Well, then, I mean, everyone, well, the majority of people do shop at Amazon. But equally, think about how many small businesses just can't even get off the ground because there are sellers on Amazon taking advantage of Amazon's platform to be able to undercut all of their competitors and sell things at ridiculously low prices. There might be an argument that said, well, if there was no Amazon, um, some of these other smaller businesses might have an opportunity uh, to generate a, a, a profit, which would which they would then have to pay uh, at full corporation tax because they don't have the facilities to, to, to use the loopholes that big tech firms and other large organizations use. So yeah, yeah but that they want to go. But but that would but that would effectively have just been business as usual, right? So when you look at the uh, 
the, the book industry right so i think one of the one of the obvious uh sectors that sort of suffered at the hands of the rise and rise of amazon is is the book industry how many how many how many how many bookstores can you name that are currently operating ignoring independent shops in local areas that you know how many how many book uh, just waterstones you... come to mind just waterstones okay so there 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 are at least 3 um there's uh i think otikas i'm not sure if otikas is still operating and there's another well known establishment but basically the majority of them have ceased and with most things on the high street mergers uh happened so waterstones itself merged with hmb in a survival bid so and i think with the launch of amazon what did amazon immediately do they started selling uh cheaper books now i'm not going to single-handedly lay you know the blame on amazon here now before amazon tesco's started selling books cds and dvds at a at a cheaper price and this had a similar impact on on bookstores as well because again they they offered books at a at a slightly cheaper rate than you would find in the bookstore and guess what everyone goes food shopping aside from home delivery addicts um or out of necessity um but everyone effectively goes shopping where do they typically put the the books dvd cd section when you come into one of the superstores near the entrance so you invariably <laughs> see those products so that impacted on on that particular stream so that's that's different um yeah. amazon still paying only around 220 million in tax on over 10 billion uh you know on over 10 billion revenue was was um a steal a bargain i mean if if we could all be as big as amazon to to benefit that way then that's great so so what's that a work that has as a as a percentage yeah it's even two no no it's not even that well that's 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 11 billion to you know 220 million of of 11 billion is is what you're looking at come on that is that is that is nonsensical so capital gains again could could be uh, a disruptor then in the housing market or again bringing it back to stamp duty as we're sort of talking about that that could be quite a disruptor because it could dissuade um you know some of definitely of your three types of investor that you laid out definitely your type three flip it uh, one because the risk is too great um, buy a property the the value drops by five percent um, which effectively negates your stamp duty benefit um, yeah you know so and that's before your capital gains <laughs> of a of a potential 45 percent on on top of that but you're not making a gain <laughs> anyway you're just making a loss all around so your long-term rental investor, uh, 
you know, looking for that rental income is relatively okay because as I said in the previous investor episode, and I'll say again now, you know, the, the law of averages balances out the house, house prices over time. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the value in that instance is sort of irrelevant, but that comes down to having a unit of money to invest that your livelihood doesn't depend on. Yeah. So, are there are there are there outright winners? Well, the outright winners are the government because they don't just rely on the property market, but the um, sort of ancillary industries will see a spike in activity. So when people move or when investors buy properties, they tend to do some refurbishment. Um, so we're talking sofas, paint, floors, um, which means lots of smaller businesses might be hired to do work. Um, so it creates a, a positive spiral of, of, of economic activity. Uh, which in turn generates VAT, uh, generates taxes, um, and generates profits, which generates dividend tax for the government. So the government is the outright winner, even though they're essentially investing to save by giving the stamp duty holiday out, um, but they but but they but they'll get it back in in spades. Um, in terms of individuals winning, I think that if you're a family who were planning to move house anyway, yeah. and you've been given a discount, which could be up to, I can't remember the exact mass, but could could make a difference, quite a larger flock to about 25k, uh, depending on the... How was it uh, fifteen thousand against the a five? Yeah, against 15, the against yeah. the five hundred. Yeah, fifteen thousand against the five hundred thousand. Five hundred. Yeah. So, if if you now no longer have to pay that much, then yeah, you're you're winning because you were definitely going to buy a house anyway. Um, house price going up and down, you wouldn't be bothered about because the average length of time someone stays in the house is seven years. So, you're winning yeah. in that scenario. Um, but everyone else, um, I would think, would get a short-term rise or short-term fall. But um, I wouldn't have said they, they would be winning because of the, the volatility of the, or the expected volatility from my perspective of the price swings won't make it viable. Uh, for 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 an outright win, but certainly the government wins and people who are going to move anyway, um, investors. Um, I'm not sure that the stamp duty holiday will offset the the, the price crash I'm expecting uh, uh, April, uh, uh, May next year, or the impending capital gains tax rise, which I could almost certainly say is going to come in because the bonds that the government sells around the world 
are backed off against tax receipts. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. It's purely backed off against tax receipts. So the way that they can make the bonds they sell seem more attractive if they come up with new ways to generate more taxes, which mm. will make it more attractive to the people who buy the bonds. Like I said, it's zero sum. <laughs> you know, you know, you can't win without losers. Yeah. So I think the 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 jackpot winners, um, I would say, were the people who completed on the day after the introduction of the stamp duty holiday, um, yeah. because you literally woke up in the morning and found yourself with a <clears throat> found yourself with a with a windfall for the yes. types of purposes. It's like, yeah. uh, oh great, we're completing today. Oh wait, we don't have to give that eight thousand, nine thousand, ten thousand, eleven thousand. You know. Um, let's book a holiday. Oh wait, we can't really go anywhere because there's a global pandemic. But but that's fine. So you sort of win. If you're a family, you know that that money is always going to be, you know, needed and and put to use. Um, notice I omitted the word good, but put to yeah. use. Um, yeah. So those would be the winners. I think we we talk about the the bytelet sort of investor. Um, but you know what about the let to buy folks again they would be they wouldn't be winners they would be quite firmly in the loser camp because again that would be a second property uh, in yeah. in that regard so if you were trying to get ahead and if you were trying to think long term about you know uh about assets and and somewhere in the future, you know, being able to generate an income uh, from from an additional property, um, everyone would have to start somewhere, uh, I presume. Uh, yeah. You know, so if this, if you thought this was would have been a good opportunity for your first foray into it, then maybe you could still make it work. Uh, under those circumstances, you'd still be liable to pay the three percent. Um, against the second property you secured, um, so you you didn't win in in that instance. But the idea would be the same as your buy to let investor thinking about that rental income or the or the long term. If your plan was to keep, you know the 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 former property uh, as a as an asset you would still not benefit. You would still lose when the inevitable crash comes. But again, that's temporary because the idea would be that you'd be hanging on to the property for a meaningful period of time. So from, a, from an investor point of view, from a renter point of view, I think it's really going to be a case of watch the space and it's not a it's not a question of if, but it's a question of when. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. I think so. Yeah. Um. I mean, the government. To be honest with you, if I'm 
to be completely transparent. They've done a lot more than what I would have thought they would have done over the last couple of months of the pandemic. Um, so it's not all bad uh, from my perspective, but I do think it feels like a bit of a trap. Um, now, when the pandemic was in its early stages in this country, the government announced that they were going to enable mortgage holidays via the uh, mortgage providers. And I thought, oh, wow, um, wasn't expecting the government to do that for people, but I'm, I'm sure that that will benefit a lot of people. Now, I was reading The Economist, I think it was The Economist again, so this week there's a public there's a subscription I subscribe to so I get uh, I get a magazine through the post every day I think it was an Economist and I, I read an article which uh, highlighted the fact that a landlord who yeah a landlord who took a mortgage holiday because he was trying to help his tenants who could not pay his mortgage. He's subsequently tried to remortgage and has been penalised for taking a mortgage holiday. Correct. I, I read that story as well. Yeah. And at the time when they did the mortgage holiday, um, lots of people around me were talking about the fact that they were going to take it up. And I said, oh, well, it sounds interesting, but there's going to be a catch. And then uh, when I was looking into the details of the mortgage holiday... I established that the mortgage lenders, although they were saying one would not have to pay their mortgage for X amount of time, they were still accruing interest yes. for the time that you were not paying. So for me, I did some very quick maths in my head, which said, well, that means the mortgage is going to be more expensive. I, w I don't know why you'd want to do that. Yeah. Because yeah? in the long run, it's going to cost you more. So forget about it. I still know lots of people who who who, who did it. Okay. Now, I think that the mortgage holiday thing is going to catch a lot of people out. And I'm now starting to think that it may be something that gets recorded somewhere on their credit file that they couldn't pay. Now, I've got no evidence to back that up yet, but it's just uh, an assumption at this point, uh, mainly because I think that a lot of people have reacted to things that seem like good news and they have in good faith just gone along with it without doing the due diligence you would normally do without good news to make sure that you're not setting yourself up for a minor or major failure. Yeah, um, I think so. Certain mortgages would have already had, you know, the um, mortgage holiday option built into it that you could have exercised, um, which yeah. wouldn't have which wouldn't have had an impact. Now, for those people who had those mortgages, I don't know if they would be affected similarly because they would be exercising. Um, a, a clause that was that already existed. So yeah. for the mortgages that didn't have uh, that that option, that's what would make it uh, different. 
and it would show that interruption. So against your your sort of credit rating, um, it it would show probably not as you missing payments, but it it would have some sort of impact somewhere along the along the lines. Um, I think they. I think they stated that it it wouldn't actually affect your credit rating. Um, having having said that, um, I believe some of the the leading credit companies, Experian, uh, Equifax, um, stated that it wouldn't actually affect your your rating, which would be a good thing. But then the option still had to be offered and available to you. So I'm not sure all of the uh, mortgage companies and the banks, etc., would have actually offered it um, in the first instance. So it's going to be subject to availability as it is with, with all of these things. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm not sure if it would work out you know, to be a good thing or a bad thing in the end, or if it will actually have that detrimental impact. But, you know, as you said, I think we we saw the similar same article with regards to yeah <laughs> that, that individual who actually lost out as a consequence of it. So no one, no one tells you it, it's like, it's like taking medication, right? Um, or it's like reading the fine print on on anything, uh, particularly on the internet when you are just trying to view a review of a, a product or whatnot. You know, here the here are all of the terms and conditions about using this site. It's about two hundred pages long. You won't read it. You will just tick that you agree. So it's yeah. like medication. You know, you're you're suffering. Doctor prescribes something. You get a leaflet with it, and it, it does say in really small print, please read all of the information uh, before. And if you experience any you know, side effects, please contact someone. But you don't usually delve into that too much. You usually just take the medication. And then somewhere down the lines, uh, you find out, ah, okay, <laughs> there, was, <laughs> there, were, there were some uh, consequences to yep. taking this medication. So... It always takes the first one to to find out to alert uh, the rest of the the party of the potential pitfalls of it. By which time it's going to be too late for some individuals um, and not. Yeah, I think it's going to be a a very interesting period, really, um, just to see how how bolstered the housing market remains or travels over the next few months, particularly leading uh, up to the end of October. So when the furlough scheme comes to an end, so a lot of things will, will have an impact. So the unemployment rate, which direction will, will, that, will that start to move uh, post the end of furlough? So we would anticipate um, a lot of, you know, the potential for redundancies in for those people working for organizations who haven't, uh, who have particularly those who haven't 
paid the additional 20% against the 80% that the government funded, you know, yeah. citing their inability to actually even pay the, the 20% given the financial circumstances. Well, if you couldn't pay a 20% at the end of the scheme, you're not going to be able to pay 80% if you were struggling with the 20%. So there's that particular scare. So what, what happens with the uncertainty in, in the job market that affects the lending market, particularly in with regards to mortgages? And, you know, it's a, it will be an interesting standoff to see what happens. Do they become more conservative in their lending? Um well they're they're very risk adverse aren't they so um it's all future forecasting uh and they have sufficient data data to model uh the impacts you know history has provided sufficient uh sufficient uh bodies of evidence that they can run you know their their comparators against to, yeah. to try and to try and forecast same as with the housing market and the the the, the, the price the price drop you know mooted at being i think the last time i read between 10 and 20 yeah. percent so yeah I, yeah i mean so so despite i mean so what, what I'm trying to allude to is that you know, just the level of the uncertainty so with the potential rise in unemployment as yes. a potential, we'll see what, what happens uh, when the furlough period ends with the impending review of the uh, capital gains tax to see just what, you know, change happens if there, if we do get anywhere near the 45%, obviously that will have an impact and then yeah. the banks will react accordingly. Uh, the economy will, will shrink by the amounts that it does then we have the same conversations again again about interest rates um and then do we have the same conversations again about you know that cash injection into into the economy what are the stimulus options would they be to try and drive the economy forward if we've taxed everything to the to the max and created a situation where the people you know with the money to lend are quite uh, reluctant to do so as freely as they had just some months before. Well, there is one thing we need to add to that list. Uh, and it begins with a B and ends in a T, and we've spoken about it before. <laughs> Help me out. My spelling's a bit hazy this evening. Well, the unknown, <laughs> which is Brexit. <laughs> Yes, and and then there's Brexit. Um, that 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 is Brexit has been around so long. I think people <laughs> stop stop thinking about it um, as the thing that it actually is. So it's the art of deflection. What what's hurting you the most right now is is the thing that you focus on. Um, Brexit will have the impact that it does. Again, potentially on the housing market, will there be uh, a, a mini exodus of people leaving the country? Will there be, uh, would that, you know, would that drive the certain instabilities? 
in the job market and subsequently the housing market. I think I read somewhere around about the UK employing, imploring the Europe, other European countries to allow the uh, yeah, British yeah. British immigrants, we'll, we'll call them what they are, um, expats is just too fluffy uh, a, a reference for me to subscribe to, uh, to remain in in the countries that they're currently residing in. Um, so Spain, for example, just citing the biggest, most obvious yeah. one that I can, France, uh, to some extent as well. So th- that's a conversation that has to happen in, in multiple directions, right? So yes. just like just like if we if we're employing imploring them to allow uh, the British people who reside there to remain, do the European countries in, implore Britain to allow the people who reside here to remain? Has that conversation already happened? Was is Europe a bit behind the fact in that regard? Because I'm pretty sure I think the government already made decisions around the status of. Uh, European citizens in terms of their rights to remain here post-Brexit? Or, or am I imagining that? No, so I've seen suggestions. I'm still trying to work out if there's been a big, big press release of all the things that the UK government are proposing as part of Brexit. I don't think I've actually seen anything concrete that says what they will or won't do. All I've seen is all the suggestions by all of the uh, standard news outlets. Um, so I have seen that suggestion out there that, that, that says that, but I don't think, or I haven't seen anything that's been confirmed publicly as to what has been agreed um, or what is likely to be agreed either. Um, I think most things are up in the air and the reason why I highlighted Brexit and suggested that it needed to be added to the list is because I think that the property market is probably one of the biggest things that affects everybody that will be impacted greatly uh, will be the property market because depending on what the immigration status is the rental market and the associated Mm. property values will take a catastrophic hit. Uh, Especially if it turns out that actually anyone who is here on a EU passport that is not a GB passport basically has limited immigration rights both ways. That will lead to an exodus, I think, because there'll be many people who just wouldn't want to risk their, their home status. Um, from where uh, from 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 where they're from, so yeah, I think expect, yeah. So following the following following the the Brexit vote, I think we already saw the first. Um, we saw the first wave of that. So the first wave of people choosing to uh, leave the UK. Um, even before any any firm decisions had been made or 
you know, any any formal publications have been made around what what the status will be, how it will be determined, etc. So that that sort of already happened to a lesser extent. And in terms of the impact on the workforce, I think that assessment was done, you know, in terms of sectors or industries that would be impacted the most um, if a lot of uh, European counterparts left. So it would be effectively another round of that, but this time uh, a formal round of that impact. But the rental market, yeah, would definitely be swayed by that. So those who choose to remain for a limited period of time, um, you would be looking at, at renting in under those particular circumstances with a view of, you know, leaving potentially after a couple of years. Let's say if it lasted that long. So that would, but I think that would that would impact in terms of the demand. Uh, the real pressure point come will come down to the availability. So if you're type one and type two investor backs out, reduces portfolios, etc., cetera, um, then that leads to that unavailability that I spoke about earlier. And if you have that unavailability, then you drive everything else up. So rental prices go up, etc. whilst in a, you know, and availability remains remains the same. And that's usually driven up by the renters themselves as opposed to the landlords because yeah. there's natural, you know, competition over over properties, you know, um, offers and then counter offers to try and secure secure residents. So, no, it, 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 everything will have... And an impact of some description, but there are indeed quite a few factors uh, that will have an impact. And my my current viewpoint is that the impacts that will be had will not largely be positive. I one hundred percent agree. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for uh, discussing this with me this evening, Anthony. Uh, it's been a pleasure as ever as always. Um, I'll hand over to you to sign off if there's anything else you want to add. The only thing I want to add is that the next episode will be live and further details will be posted on the Instagram page, which is at flystroke underscore IG. So look out for that. And the next episode will be live. So look forward to joining you then. Excellent. I look forward to it. We'll be going live, people. <laughs>